When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. My name is Ellis Williams. We are recording this on a Thursday morning from a few remote locations, all things considered. I'm joined by fellow Browns beat writers, Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. My friends, how are you two doing today? Doing well, Ellis. How are you? Doing well. It's uh, sunny here in Minnesota, probably not as warm as it is there in Ohio, but uh, I'm doing all right. Yep, I'm doing great too. Just uh, we're all trying to get through this as best we can, and hopefully uh, we can take your mind off things a little bit with this podcast. Yeah, Mary Kay, you nailed it. That's the goal here. And as you said, you know, we're trying to um, make the most of this, make the best of it. And I'm assuming the Browns would have introduced their new free agent signings, uh, Austin Hooper, Jack Conklin, Case Keenum, and whatnot um, in Berea. But all things considered, we were able to have a conference call with them, first Hooper and Conklin on Tuesday, then Keenum on Wednesday. So what I want to do is rehash what we learned from those conversations, conversations with them. It was our, really our first chance to try and get to know these guys and, you know, get some interesting takes from them. So let's start with Hooper. Um, from what he said, you know, it seemed like a, one thing that stood out to me when he just was like, oh, yeah, I'm all about the tight end. You know, you can tell he's a fiery, young, 25-year-old guy. Mary Kay, let's start with you. Uh, being on that call, what were some of your takeaways uh, from Hooper, and why do you think this is going to be a good fit for him and Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland? Well, he understands just how much Kevin Stefanski values the tight end. Uh, he loves the fact that he landed in a place where Kevin Stefanski will run a lot of two tight end sets. And again, according to ESPN stats and info, 57% of the time, uh, that's what Stefanski did last year as OC of the Vikings. So that is great news for, the, for a tight end. Uh, he also talked about the fact that, um, you know, that he – you know, that basically that Rob Gronkowski has made it cool to be a tight end again, uh, that it's a, he called it a sexy position. So uh, whereas the tight end uh, had been forgotten in a lot of cases, it's now back in vogue. And he's so excited and happy to be part of that. And I think that, you know, we have talked about David Njoku that, you know, this obviously doesn't mean that David Njoku is, you know, on the outs. It really just means that these two guys for the most part, will probably be the ones in two tight end sets. But the Browns also really like Steven Carlson. So that's something to keep in mind, too. Yeah, I, th I think the thing that stood out to me was just, you know, obviously, look, a, a big piece of this was the Browns made him a very rich man to come here and play. But he sounded really excited to, to get this Kevin Stefanski scheme. It, it sounded like he did his homework, um, you know, in talking to some former Browns players, 
uh, obviously different schemes, but kind of learning about the city of Cleveland and, and that did his homework on, on his new head coach and, and kind of what he's going to do. And it sounded like he was very excited to, to get into an offense and, and sort of this offense that is gaining traction now around the NFL as, as teams sort of adjust to, uh, you know, more spread out faster league defenses adjust to that. Now offenses are starting to go back to bigger personnel. Uh, so it's, it sounded like he was very excited to be a part of all this. And, and Dan, and, and you guys can tell me if you guys, uh, and LSU too, if you guys sort of um, noted a common denominator. These guys have some personality. Uh, right. these three, you know, these three guys that we talked to, they're going to bring uh, some leadership, some personality, some good quotes, uh, and just, you know, a little bit of energy to that locker room. So I think they added some really, really good guys uh, that are going to be great for leadership and those kinds of things. Yeah, Mary Kay, I really agree with that. One thing that stood out to me was the way Hooper talked about his progression as a tight end. He, of course, mentioned Gronk and then said he grew up watching Antonio Gates, Tony Gonzalez. But as he's become more of a student of the game, he watches, you know, the Travis Kelsey, Jordan Reed and Zach Ertz of the world, even picking out different stuff. Um, he said Travis Kelsey at the at the line of scrimmage, getting off press coverage, getting off man coverage is things he steals from. And then Zach Ertz is a guy who at the top of his routes is just a magician. And he tries to pull things from there. So it was cool to hear him just for a few seconds there talk about the game and where he pulls things from. And as you watch more Austin Hooper tape or, and eventually see him in orange and brown, we're going to see little flashes of other top tight ends game in his I want to ask you to something just, of course, with you guys being longtime uh, followers and covering the Browns. Do, do Browns fans owe uh, Gary Barnage a solid here? I thought that was a, a <laughs> thing of a story. If either you two want to get into that, it seems like uh, Gary Barnage should get some free drinks around Cleveland, right? Gary Barnage and Jordan Cameron, uh, apparently. A couple, of, uh, a couple of tight ends Browns fans will remember. And of course, Barnage had that great year in 2015. Uh, and then the Browns sent him packing after they drafted David Njoku. And uh, Jordan Cameron struggled with injuries a little bit, but was always uh, was always really good when he was on the field. And you know, I know Mary Kay, you you covered both of them a little more than I did. But yeah, that uh, American football without barriers trip to what, what was it, Hungary? And uh, yeah. they they had some good things to say about the Browns apparently. Yeah, that was another common theme amongst the players that we have talked to, Hooper. Conklin and Case Keenum. They uh, have been really sold on the fan base here and just how passionate and rabid this fan base is. And I think that what those were the things that Jordan Cameron and Gary Barnage really drove home with Austin Hooper, that you're going to be in a place where uh, they're going to show up rain, shine, freezing cold. They're going to cheer you on and they're going to love the heck out of you. And I think that was attractive to a lot of these guys. Yeah, Mary Kay, I, I completely agree with that. And that seemed, as you said, that seemed to be a theme. And one thing to keep the, the Browns connection going is um, I wanted to ask him a little bit about Kyle Shanahan. And it, it made a lot of sense where uh, Kyle's last year in Atlanta, I believe, was Hooper's uh, rookie year. And he really credited Kyle Shanahan into laying the foundation of his professional career, uh, teaching him how to really watch film and just really be a professional I found that interesting, of course, with Shanahan's ties to, to Cleveland and then in a wide zone running scheme. And the way Kevin Stefanski wants to run this offense, there's going to be some mirror things that Kyle Shanahan has done throughout his time. So I thought that was an interesting uh, connective piece throughout all that. 
where Browns fans can find comfort. And not only is he a team of the game, not only, like you guys said, is he a personality and we're going to get some, some passion, some, some, a lot of interesting things out of Hooper um, and the way he's been talking about Cleveland and then all the way to how he's been groomed uh, at a young age from a, a guy like Kyle Shanahan, who was just coaching in the Super Bowl. Let's switch uh, to Jack Conklin here. A uh, similar t- question for you guys. Dan, I know you wrote about how the quote that really stood out, he, he's just a right tackle. Uh, so, Dan, when you heard that, sort of, where did your mind go and what were your takeaways from hearing uh, Conklin speak <laughs> today? Yeah, I mean, I just kind of had to laugh at that because, you know, that's sort of how offensive linemen are. They, they just kind of show up and, and do their jobs. And, you know, they don't get a lot of attention, a lot of glory. But the reality is the Browns – certainly view him as more than just a right tackle because they paid him a lot of money to come here and, and they want him to be one of the, the cogs on that line and they needed two tackles and, and they went out and they solved one of those issues with Conklin and this is all about getting a, a good evaluation on Baker Mayfield and, and protecting him and making sure that he can get better and Jack Conklin is one of the most important pieces of, of all of that so uh yeah he, he kind of said hey I'm, I'm just a you know I'm just a right tackle well yeah, you are, but you're also a really important piece of what this team is doing as they're trying to develop and, and get a full evaluation on their quarterback. Yeah, and when he says, I'm just a right tackle, yeah, well, he's just a right tackle now that he's making $14 million yeah, right? a year. <laughs> and I, I think that speaks to uh, just how the Browns are, are evaluate, valuing or evaluating this position and protecting the quarterback. They knew that it was vitally important to do this. Uh, this was a probably – either the number one, maybe the number one target in free agency for them. And uh, they went out and they got it done. Of course, you know, you have to pay up to get these guys. And that makes him probably, I think, something like the third highest paid right tackle in the NFL right now. But they have the money to do it. So if you're going to allocate some resources, why not do it in a place like this? And uh, now, obviously, then he will be paired with the new left tackle, which, you know, we'll, we'll get into that more as we go along. But um, – but these guys are basically saying we're going to do whatever it takes to protect our quarterback. Yeah, Mary Kay, I want to um, push you a little bit there. It, I was thinking about this. With Conklin getting, you know, 14 a year, 20 guaranteed in that first year, um, and then you got guys like Treader and Batonio making between, you know, 9 and $10 million. And then, like you said, we're going to get into it, but it's pretty obvious that the Browns will address left tackle either through acquisition or the – number 10 pick in a high draft capital. That's a large, large investment to the offensive line. Just in your time, um, and even we can go recent history covering this team, can you remember a time the Browns invested this heavily in the offensive line? And again, what does it say to just the complete remodel that this new regime has come in and done? Well, recent history kind of, of tells us that they have valued that position, the offensive line, for a while because uh, you have – you had Kevin Zeitler, who was making, I can't remember the exact figure right now, but he was making $11 million or something. Uh, then you had Joel Batonio, who had just signed a very big extension. You had Joe Thomas, uh, who was making a ton of money. So even in, in recent Browns history, there has been an investment in the offensive line. And I think what it says about this current regime is, once again, it's quarterback-centric. Not only are they going to support and protect their current quarterback, their own quarterback, uh, but they're going to do things to affect the opponent's quarterback. So therefore, when it comes to a guy like uh, Joe Schobert, even though he's a good linebacker, uh, because he doesn't really rush the passer or affect the quarterback in in a way that an Olivier Vernon would, then they're not going to give him that money. 
So they're going to put their money where their quarterback is on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think, you know, Ellis, you mentioned Kyle Shanahan. And, and you have to, for this team, you look back to 2014 uh, when they actually got something going a little bit when Brian Hoyer was their quarterback and they had, uh, you know, Joe Thomas, Alex Mack, uh, Joel Batonio, Mitchell Schwartz, uh, I, I believe maybe John Greco was on that line too. I mean, they had a really strong investment in the offensive line there to run Kyle Shanahan's system. So, uh, you know, the, this team, for, for whatever reason, you know, this team for the most part historically has valued the offensive line. Uh, and, and it looks like they're going to have as good a unit, especially if they, they get that left tackle in the draft and, and figure out right guard, they're going to have as good a unit as they've had probably in recent years. Yep, so there's value on the offensive line, and now they're matching that with, of course, Baker Mayfield, as we said, and the offensive weapons, whether it's Cooper, of course, Beckham, Landry, Chubb, Hunt, a lot of weapons around there. Let's wrap up with this teleconference thing we've been doing with Case Keenum. He spoke yesterday to reporters on a conference call. A few things to get into here. Mary Kay, I'm going to let you go first. Um, Keenum seems – Comfortable with his role as a backup, but was not did not hesitate at all to share how itching and how ready he is to go. If uh, just your biggest takeaways from Keenum and what you learned yesterday. Yeah, I thought you know sometimes it takes a while to synthesize and actually really process what a person is saying and how they're saying it. And as I went through the rest of yesterday, and I, I wrote stories about Case Keenum. And I, you know, reread the transcript and thought about the things that he said. Uh, basically, the, the biggest takeaway for me is, is kind of what you just said, Ellis, that he is not ready to be put out to pasture by any stretch of the imagination. Not only does he still feel like he has plenty left in the tank, he feels like he's gotten better than he was in 2017 when he led Minnesota to the NFC championship game. He's worked on his game. He's, per, per, he's perfected his craft. He's worked on dropbacks recently. So he's doing all kinds of things uh, to play football. This is not a sort of, you know, Drew Stanton, more Josh McCown type of thing where, where you really are, uh, you know, primarily just a mentor and you kind of think that you're on the very, very, you know, back nine. And, you know, if you, if you end up not being around much longer, you'll go be with the family. The, He's not there yet. Yeah. He's not there yet, especially with seeing, you know, Tom Brady and Philip Rivers and Drew Brees and those kind of guys. I think Case Keenum got a taste of, uh, of winning and playing really well. And I, I get the sense that he is really itching to play some football and that he thought that uh, even though he is respecting and embracing his role as a backup, I feel like this is a quarterback who feels like uh, he has some great starting football left in him. And whether that's here or elsewhere, uh, he's not ready to hang it up yet. Yeah, Dan, Dan, we're going to have some questions on uh, this later, but I, I got to ask you, though it's not our intention and definitely not the Browns' intention, are we just headed towards a natural quarterback controversy? here? Where, where do you see this going when you hear Keenum talk yesterday? <laughs> I don't know if we're headed for a quarterback controversy, at, at least right off the bat. I think everybody's saying the right things and doing the right things. I, I do think they're invested in, in making Baker Mayfield the franchise quarterback. Uh, you know, Keenum is, is a really nice insurance policy, though. And, you know, if, if Baker does struggle, 
then you do start to think, gosh, can, can Case Keenum maybe come in and, and do something here? But I, I think it's going to take Baker struggling at the start of the year to, to really turn that into anything. But just to kind of piggyback off what Mary Kay said, this is a guy that just turned 32. Uh, he believes he still has football left in him and, and kind of, uh, kind of strangely, you know, he's, he cashed in a few years ago after that big year in Minnesota when teams were desperate for starting quarterbacks. And then he hits free agency this year and nobody's desperate for starting quarterbacks because Tom Brady's out there and Phillip Rivers is out there. Uh, you know, Jameis Winston can't even get a job right now. Nobody knows where Cam Newton is going to end up. So, you know, there, there's a lot of really good quarterbacks out there. So Keenum sort of had to settle to be a backup. And I think he found a good situation with a coach he knows and, he got a three-year deal out of it, but I think maybe in a different year, this guy is out there still looking for a starting job. Um, so kind of had to settle this year, but I think this is a guy that, like Mary Kay said, definitely still wants to start somewhere. And didn't you guys find it interesting uh, when he said things like, you know what, we kind of watched where guys were going and, you know, we decided, you know, meaning, you know, he and his agent and his wife, uh, we decided that, you know, we didn't want to go where Tom Brady was and we didn't want to go where Philip Rivers was going to be. Uh, you know, we wanted to go where uh, there was an attractive backup job. So once again, even though we know that this is not a quarterback controversy, even though we know that he is coming in here to be Baker Mayfield's backup, there is no denying that this is a quarterback that still believes uh, that he can go out there and if, if necessary, even take a team to the Super Bowl. So I, I think this, you know, may, maybe, uh, you know, he talked about being here long term and he's excited about not having to move for a long time. I thought that was interesting because it kind of, uh, not contradicted, but it didn't necessarily go hand in hand with his uh, desire to play. He also said, uh, this league needs good quarterbacks who can play and I'm one of them. Yeah. So you guys, you know, let's just chew on this for a minute. What, you know, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, Mary Kay, I, I think that's well put because it is contradicting in a way where, okay, you, you come in as a backup and the Teddy Bridgewater model would be you play four or five games, you do well, and you get a new contract elsewhere. Now look, money talks, uh, Keenum would leave next year if given the opportunity and Baker was still here, whatever. But to your point, I think we're looking more at, from Keenum's standpoint, a Ryan Tannehill, Marcus Mariota model more than a Bridgewater one where when you talk about an attractive backup situation, what I interpret from that is a spot where the starting job isn't as secure, if you will. And I know right. that sounds – yeah, that sounds right. strange. yeah, it sounds strange to say, but yes, of course, the Browns are all in on Baker Mayfield, yada, yada. But as we saw in Tennessee last year, that can change real quickly. So that's where my mind goes when, when I hear that. Uh, I see more of a Ryan Tannehill roadmap than, than a Teddy Bridgewater. Dan, where do you land on that? Well, I, you know, I, I think we also have to be realistic about who Case Keenum is. Uh, you know, I, I think it's really easy with him in this backup role to project some things. But, uh, you know, let, let's not forget, this guy led Minnesota to the NFC Championship game, and Kirk Cousins is Minnesota's quarterback right now. Yeah. You know, Denver, Denver paid him a lot of money to come be their starting quarterback, and he drew Locke as their starting quarterback now. Washington, you know, brought this guy in to sort of be their starting quarterback, and now we, we don't know who Washington's starting quarterback is going <laughs> right. to be. It could be Dwayne Haskins or somebody else. 
so so this is a guy who is a good quarterback. You know, he, he was sort of a placeholder in front of Jared Goff in L.A. Case Keenum kind of is who he is. So he, he certainly would never be a long-term answer if, if it ever came to that for the Browns. You know, again, the hope is that Baker Mayfield is the guy. But if not, this isn't an organization that can kind of just sit back and, and fudge another year at the quarterback position. They have to have a good backup plan. And, and I think Case Keenum is just that. Yeah, and you know what? I do believe, I 100% believe that Baker Mayfield is going to succeed in Kevin Stefanski's offense because it is set up to help make him look good, to help make most quarterbacks look good and maximize their potential. And in addition to uh, the scheme that he will be running, which will feature way more play action, way more 12 personnel or two tight end sets and things like that, uh, he is also, they are surrounding him with a lot of talent, and they're going to use the heck out of Nick Chubb. They're going to use the heck out of Kareem Hunt. Uh, I think you'll see a much better Odell Beckham Jr. in this offense. Uh, you know, now they've got Austin Hooper. They're going to protect him on the line. So I see every reason – I have every reason to believe that Baker Mayfield uh, is going to go out this year and be the first-round pick, the number one overall pick that he is, uh, to play very, very well, to redeem himself – and to completely hold off Case Keenum. But in the event, as Case put it yesterday, that, you know, that Baker needs to go tie his shoelace or uh, that, you know, for whatever reason he needs to come out, you know, for a game or he gets hurt or something isn't going well, uh, that Case believes that he can come in and get the job done. Mary Kay, I'm with you there. And I would be surprised also if, if Baker didn't play well or just simply make strides from last year with Kevin Stefanski. One thing I want to add to Dan's point about remembering who Case Keenum is, I think that's something we really got to keep in mind here. Uh, he is who he is, and we're basing really all of his reputation and success uh, around like an 11-game run with the Vikings. I get that. One thing I think that is important to mention, though, with a guy like Kevin Stefanski is sometimes it comes down to fit more than talent. You know, if, if, if for whatever reason, and I'm just – throwing out what ifs here I have no reason to believe Baker this will happen to Baker but if for whatever reason Baker can't make these reads that Stefanski will ask of him or just remains off there's going to be an opportunity for Case Keenum to come in and simply take the job because Stefanski is going to be comfortable with them he's going to be familiar with them and he knows what he can get out of Case Keenum so though the talent and the arm really aren't comparable I could see a situation where we got to keep in mind who Case Keenum is in relation to Kevin Stefanski more than just evaluating these guys in a vacuum. Does, does that make sense when I say that, you guys? Yeah, it does. And, I mean, the other thing to consider about that is the fact that, you know, like you said, uh, not just uh, the comfort level, but knowledge of, of the scheme. And right. not, only, not only knowledge of Kevin Stefanski's scheme and way of doing things, but his familiarity with the Gary Kubiak way of doing things. He started his career with Gary Kubiak. So the way that they, just the language that they speak, the philosophy, the way that they think, uh, it's, it's just kind of all aligned under that sort of that West Coast version of, you know, the Kubiak version that Kevin Stefanski ran last year and that, that he's very familiar with. And when you get older as a quarterback, you see the field, the game slows down for you. And a lot of times that knowledge and that wisdom can overcome 
you know, some of the other things. So, yeah, so I do think that, uh, you know, I think if he does get an opportunity that he will make the most of it. And um, again, I don't think that anybody's setting out for him to become the starting quarterback here. I don't think that this is, uh, you know, all of a sudden Baker needs to be looking over his shoulder. I don't feel like it's that at all. And the Browns are trying are, are going out of their way to make sure that it doesn't get portrayed like that, that they're saying all the right things. It's not that. It's Baker's football team. And I think the Browns and everybody surrounding them really 100% believes uh, that he's going to excel in this offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the fit is important even as a backup, you know, because you have a guy that speaks Kevin Stefanski's language. And, and Case even talked about this a little bit. You've got a guy that's going to sort of be he, – he's going to be on the field next to Baker. He's going to have the earpiece in on the sideline and sitting there on the tablets with Baker uh, after, after drives. He's going to be in the film room with Baker. He's going to be everywhere with Baker Mayfield and sort of be able to be that interpreter as Baker learns another offensive system. He's, he's going to be able to speak Kevin Stefanski's language and, and get Baker up to speed and then even kind of do that too with the rest of the, with the, rest of the offense, with the wide receivers, with the running backs. He's going to sort of be, even though he, he's a guy that still wants to play, when you're the backup, you are sort of another coach. And, and he's going to be able to sort of bring that along and, and be uh, another piece uh, of this offense from sort of a coaching perspective until, you know, the moment he does have to step in if Baker Mayfield needs a, a drink of water or needs to tie a shoe. And I definitely think he will play that role, even though he tried to downplay that yesterday on the conference call. He was like, I'm not a coach. I'm not going to coach. But it's going to naturally go that way. And why is that? Not only are these guys learning a new language, learning a new offense that, that um, Case Keenum already knows, but they are learning it remotely now. They are learning it. Uh, by the time they all get back together, they're going to need all the help they can get in implementing this scheme. Who knows when these teams are actually going to be able to practice together for this 2020 season. Uh, a lot of times, most times, your offensive installation takes place during OTAs. So by May, they would have the entire offense installed. Now, we don't know exactly when that's going to happen. So when they do show up, there are going to be questions. There are going to be questions in that quarterback room and on the field and in drills and position drills and things like that. And they will be turning to Case Keenum for help. Yeah, before we touch on a, a few other big names out there that the, the Browns could be targeting, I, I want to build off what you just said there, Mary Kay, and ask you about something. You were, you were pretty on the point with before all this got going, and it's the state of the quarterback room. Look, the Browns have remodeled and continue to reshape their offensive line, and that's something that fans can physically see and follow and will show itself on the field. What we don't get to see is the behind the scenes in those quarterback rooms. Usually, the, you know, they're smaller rooms, two, three, four guys and a coach. Uh, Mary Kay, just from last year and what you learned and saw for this year already with the names they brought in, can you com compare and contrast the quarterback rooms and both of you just talk about how much that is going to help this team, even though it's not something that you're physically maybe able to see on the field? Well, the quarterback room was perceived last year as sort of a clicky place to be. And it wasn't just the quarterback room. It was Freddie Kitchens and then quarterback coach Ryan Lindley, 
Drew Stanton, they were all together uh, in, in Arizona. And so they kind of all had their, their thing going. And Drew Stanton was a great mentor for Baker Mayfield. Uh, but it was just this vibe of it was the quarterback situation uh, and a disconnect with a lot of other entities on the football team. There was a disconnect with Todd Munkin. There was a disconnect with the receiver room. And uh, I think that was one of the things that Kevin Stefanski really wanted to change when he came in here. I think he really wanted to shake that up and get Baker Mayfield the type of mentorship that he needed in, in Case Keenum. Again, not that Drew Stanton wasn't that because he was, uh, but when you coupled that with the whole Ryan Lindley, Freddie Kitchens thing, it just was almost an us against the world thing that it didn't work. It just did not work. There was resentment um, from other position groups. There were just a lot of things that went on that, uh, that you just don't want on your football team. So when Case Keenum talks about one voice, we're all going to be – on the same page and that's vitally important. I think that's what they're going for now. And uh, I think Case will help him become a better pro in many ways. And I just think that they kind of broke up that little click that just wasn't serving the team well. Yeah, and, and I think too, having the presence of a guy that, that can actually play a little bit too. I mean, that's gotta push Baker a little, even if, you know, this all is built towards Baker being successful and, and Baker knows where he stands. I think having a guy behind him that can push a little bit and, you know, I mean, Darren Gilbert was never going to push Baker from a, from a playtime perspective, right? Case is going to come in and again, he's not here to take Baker Mayfield's job. That's not the plan, but still, I think it helps to have a guy there who's going to be able to push him on the field a little bit too. And, and not just, uh, not, not just be that, that coach that we've been talking about. You know what, Dan, I agree with you 100% on that, because even though Baker knows that this is his job and they are 100% committed to him, there is something different ab about knowing that the person behind you has taken a team to the NFC Championship game, has won, has, is coming off a very recent season in which he won 11 regular season games, took a team to the playoffs. Uh, there, there is something about that and about the fact that he is close with the head coach. Uh, so even though it's all going to be laid out the way that uh, that everybody wants it to be and that Baker's the starting quarterback, uh, there is going to be an unspoken vibe of, yes, there is somebody that is one step behind you that can step in there and win games if you don't do absolutely everything that you can possibly do to be the best you can be. Yeah, in, in, comp, in football and, and really in life, competition – breeds success and new focus and Baker is going to be and should be looking over his shoulder and if anything that's just to push him uh, to reach the heights that uh, people in Cleveland think he can reach as being the former number one overall pick we're going to have more on Case Keenum with some football insider questions later and before we take a break Mary Kay Dan I want to get a quick update on two names uh, Trent Williams and Anthony Harris let's start with Trent Williams uh, Washington Redskins left tackle who is just could not want out of Washington more badly. <laughs> I, I can't think of a, a worse situation recently, uh, you know, other than I guess Antonio Brown, but that solved itself. Uh, Mary Kay, what are you hearing? What's the latest on Trent Williams and his pursuit out of Washington and where he could possibly land? Well, as I wrote the other day, the Browns uh, still have Trent Williams on their radar. He's still an option for the Browns. And why is that? Because 
Well, first and foremost, he's available. He does want out of Washington. Not only that, you have to consider that uh, his former offensive line coach in Bill, Bill Callahan is now here as the Browns offensive line coach. So Bill Callahan, you know, they have the inside intel on, uh, on Trent Williams. And from everything that I can tell, that uh, Bill Callahan likes him and has given him, uh, you know, just uh, good reviews in terms of bringing him in here. So I think he could step right in and give you the kind of play that you used to get from Joe Thomas. I think he would come in and solidify that position for years to come. He's only, he'll, he'll be playing at 32 this year. So, you know, he can come in and play another three, four years if, um, depending on the type of contract or extension that you would do, or do you let him play out the contract that he's on now, which is a two-year contract? Probably not. He's going to want new money, new guarantees and things like that. Um, but I do think that it's worth pursuing. And uh, in the event that you can make that happen, then it does free you up to do some different things in the draft, whether it be trying to, to land an Isaiah Simmons or, you know, trying to trade up, try, trade down, gather some other assets, uh, you know, do some other things. So I, I, I think it's great that they're still pursuing it, and I would have no problem with them making that deal. Yeah, Mary Kay, the, the flexibility at 10 if a Williams comes in is really intriguing, something we could probably talk at nauseum about. Um, Dan, quickly to you, where's your gut land with this Trent Williams thing? Are these two parties just circling the wagon and you think something's looming and going to happen? Or is this a trade deadline thing again where just some flirting back and forth, but this isn't going anywhere? You know, the, the only thing that really sticks to me is how, you know, how this group would view, we, we talked about this earlier, the amount of money uh, on yeah. that offensive line. If all of a sudden now your left tackle is Trent Williams, that offensive line is really expensive. Um, you know, you, you paid Jack Conklin a lot of money. Uh, JC Treader just got extended. Joel Batonio is still playing on an extension. You know, your right guard, you know, if that's somebody like Wyatt Teller or something like that, you're not spending a lot of money there. Uh, but there's a big difference if, if you're kind of looking at this from that analytics, you know, spending money view. There's a big difference between bringing in Trent Williams at, at his cost and having some cost control with the number 10 overall pick and, and kind of what you can do with him. And then that fifth year option down the road, I know the, the format of that option has changed a little bit, but you know, it, it's still there and there's still that cost control with that rookie deal. So I, I think that's probably something that they have to weigh in this process. You know, that being said, you know, if, if the cost on Trent Williams fits, you know, I, th I think you have to kick the tires on it. And of course, if for some reason this ends in Trent Williams, hitting the market and, and Washington just cutting ties with him, that, that's even more, I, I think that's even easier to stomach if you're bringing him in without giving up a draft asset in the process. So Dan, would you do it if you had to, if you had to bring him in here and pay him, you know, $15 million a year for the next three years or four years, would you do it? You know what? I, I don't know if I would. I, I think Trent Williams is a really good player, but, but he's also an older player. He hasn't played in a little while. Uh, I think there's some risk there, and, and I think this is a really deep draft class, and, and I think you can get a guy who can play left tackle for you for a long time. And, and you know, I, I hate to be the guy that, like, oh, you got to save money here and save money there, but I do think, you know, you have to be a little bit, a little bit cautious putting too much money into one position group. Yeah, Dan, I think that's a really good point. Doing that, look, there's plenty of teams out there who 
don't pay offensive line, uh, notably the Patriots or the Seahawks. They, they traditionally just don't invest in that spot. Uh, the, I'd be willing to guess the Browns would have one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive office, offensive line. If they did something like that, and then also Mary Kay with your point on a three- or four-year deal, that would basically say without saying guys like Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry are not in Cleveland for the long haul. If they do something like that, am I right? Because, look, the Browns have deals for Miles Garrett likely looming, possibly Baker Mayfield. Uh, the running back market is what it is, and maybe we can touch on Todd Gurley later when we go around the league. But you've got to think they're going to pay Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt something. I mean, you can't lose both those guys over the course of two or three seasons. So, Dan, I think that's a really good point about, yeah, you don't want to save all your money, but you do need to plan where you're going to invest. And if Trent Williams comes in, I look, we don't know what Odell and Jarvis Landry's long-term future is anyway, but uh, that would likely single signal the end of some of these bigger name offensive weapons, right? If they, if they do invest so heavily there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because it'll, it'll be an analytics thing. Uh, they are so driven by analytics now in terms of the salary cap and what players they're willing to pay and not pay. So if it comes down to, um, you know, a Trent Williams deal, uh, they will have their an analytics weigh heavily in on that to determine if paying him that amount of money over the next four years serves them well and, and how that will all pan out from, again, from a number standpoint. Yep, Mary Kay, that's right on there. Um, all right, listeners, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with our Around the League segment and then get to your football insider questions. So don't go anywhere. Hey, everybody, it's Dan. I want to tell you about Football Insider. It's our texting service. Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, me. We text you throughout the day. Browns breaking news, uh, analysis, the latest news, anything you want. And, of course, it gives you an opportunity to interact directly uh, You know, with all of us. You can text uh, we see your texts. I'll text directly to you. It cuts through all the clutter of Twitter, Facebook, wherever else you could interact with us. This comes directly to us and we can talk directly to you. It's also the only way that you can get your questions on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, if you listen to that and you want to be a part of that, you've got to sign up for Football Insider. And again, it's a, it's a great way to interact with all of us and it's a unique way to interact with all of us that you can't get anyplace else. So, why should you sign up? Everything I just said, but also you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can check it out, see if you like it, see if you like getting texts from us, ask your questions, get them answered. If you don't, you can cancel. I don't think you're going to want to, though, because it's only $3.99 a month. That's less than $0.14 cents a day. And you also get access to special events like our NFL Draft Preview on April 16th that will feature all of us. And again, the thing I like best, you can ask me a question. I can respond directly to you. Nobody else sees it. It's exclusive. It's personal. I think you'll love it. Give it a shot. All you have to do to sign up is go to cleveland.com slash Browns. There's a banner at the top of the page or text me 216-208-3965. Again, to sign up, text 216-208-3965. Hello and welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name is Ellis Williams. We're recording this on a Thursday morning. I'm joined by fellow beat writers Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. We're going to hop into our Around the League segment. Some of the biggest news this week, and though it was looming and really this is the only way this could end, but it became official on Tuesday when the Panthers released former MVP Cam Newton. I know the Browns are the AFC North and the Panthers are the NFC South, but still 
Cam won an MVP. He really is one of the most iconic quarterbacks of the last decade. With that being said, Dan, Mary Kay, when you saw the news, Cam Newton was released. What were your initial thoughts? And really, this has to be the strangest quarterback free agency market you can remember, right? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Heavens, yes. It, it really has been. Uh, that was, you know, the most intriguing aspect of free agency. Where was Tom Brady going to land? Where was Philip Rivers? Uh, so definitely. And now, like you said, Cam Newton has been cut loose. It is very weird. Uh, I think he is going to resurface somewhere and go on to have some success. I think he has another three or four good years of starting quarterback quarterbacking in him. I think some someone's going to pick him up and he'll be a starter again and he won't make them sorry. He's very hungry now. Yeah, I mean I mean he's been one of the most fun quarterbacks to watch and everybody remembers that 15 and 1 year when he kind of carried that group to the Super Bowl. I saw a tweet today with uh the receivers that were on that team and it makes it even more incredible like what he was able to do yep. uh you know with that group. I don't have a lot of memories seeing him in person. The last time he came to Cleveland was when he had the shoulder injury and, and he was really struggling to throw the football. Um, but when, you know, when he's healthy and, and if he's healthy again, um, he's, he, he's going to change somebody, whoever he signs with. The one thing that kind of stands out to me too, and I'm stealing this from a tweet I saw yesterday, don't believe teams when they talk about their quarterbacks, especially when, when there's new regimes. You remember – uh, in Arizona, when they were all about, you know, Josh Rosen is our guy. We love Josh Rosen, and then they traded for Kyler Murray. Yep. Uh, or, I'm sorry, they, they traded Rosen and drafted Kyler Murray. And then, you know, look, Matt Rule and, and the folks in Carolina were all in on Cam Newton until they weren't. So, uh, so sometimes teams uh, can, can fudge the facts a little bit with, with their quarterbacks. Yeah, I've, I've got a quick Cam Newton story. Um, I was an intern in Charlotte. Uh, about three summers ago with Sporting News. Uh, some great people there shout out Sporting News. And I got to cover, as the interns do, the little random things they send you to. I got to cover Cam Newton's annual kickball tournament at uh, Bank of America Stadium. And the, look, it's obvious. The first thing that stands out with Cam Newton is just his overwhelming size. The guy is every inch of 6'5", and God, I don't even know what he plays at, 240, two. I, I the guy is massive, and he looks it in person. Um, I remember Jameis Winston was there, and they come up and dap each other up. And he just even makes a guy like Jameis Winston look small, who I'm off the top of my head, I'm sure Jameis is a good 6'2", 220 type of thing. Um, Jonathan Stewart was there, the running back, all 5'8", 5'9", of them. You can imagine that. Um, I think Bobby Wagner was there of, of the, the Seahawks, and even Bobby Wagner, a massive linebacker, one of the best in the game. You know, thickness-wise, sure, he's a thick guy, but just the overall stature and height of Cam Newton. You know, that's a middle linebacker who's supposed to come down and lay the lumber on a quarterback if they decide to take off. And every single time it was Cam Newton lowering his shoulder and usually delivering those hits. And I can't finish this story without saying Terrell Owens was there. And I don't know if either of you have ever crossed paths with T.O. That was my first and only time. Um, but he is, as advertised, shirt off, playing kickball. Um, I don't think we can cuss on this podcast, but, you know, he was dropping, calling people <laughs> the B-word with bad pitches, complaining about pitches, you know, just complaining about everything. Uh, having fun with his big smile, as always does. I'm not – I'm a pro Terrell Owens guy, but uh, that, that was something I'll never forget. So just with Cam, really 
the point of this story other than his his size and to do a little to name drop there was he really does and i'm sure always will love the the community of charlotte and the carolinas as a whole uh, he was just thrilled with the kids who were playing and all that stuff and again it's a rude reminder that the nfl like any professional league it's a business dan like you said these guys, these coaching stabs, they say the right thing. They're all in. They're a quarterback until they're not. And that was Cam Newton's reality. And then this morning I saw a, a tweet out, and I'm sure it came from Cam Newton's Instagram, and then someone grabs it on Twitter. But Cam's working out in his home gym, you know, with the Auburn number two jersey uh, plastered on the wall. He's working out, shirt off, listening to gospel music. Just he looks in great shape. And, again, it's a reminder of the huge human being he is. And I'll throw it to you guys with this. Wouldn't it be fun to see him in New England? I know we're fantasy booking and fantasy drafting all this stuff. <laughs> but that's kind of what it feels like with, like you said, Mary Kay, Tom Brady to Tampa and Philip Rivers to the Colts. What do you guys think, Bill Belichick and Cam Newton, does that feel tangible? Or can we, can we pick a landing spot for him? Or is it just too hard to tell right now? Well, that would be an intriguing one. It certainly would. I mean, you know, I keep thinking that Bill Belichick has to have something up his sleeve, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, there's no way you're letting Tom Brady walk out the door and you're going to let people uh, believe what they've wanted, what they've wondered all these years. What can you do without Tom Brady? And then you're just going to like, you know, not have an amazing starting quarterback. So he's got something up his sleeve, I think. Uh, no, I know they signed Brian Hoyer, uh, but I think he's got another little power play, and I think Cam would be intriguing. I, I've got to ask where the Chargers are on this. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that's a team that nobody's paying attention to. Uh, they just lost Phillip Rivers. They're moving into this giant new stadium with the Rams, and they're going to have Terod Taylor as their starting quarterback. I just don't – I mean, we've been down the, the Terod Taylor road here in Cleveland. He's, he's fine. He's nothing special. He's a placeholder quarterback. If I were the Chargers, I would have Cam Newton on the phone today. Yeah. yeah that, oh, go ahead, that's Mary. That's another please. one. The, you know, the Raiders are another possibility. Uh, you know, I've seen things about, you know, even uh, the Dolphins, you know. I mean, it's just – it's just hard to uh, it's hard to know, but it, it's going to be one of those things where it's really interesting and intriguing to see where he ends up. Yeah, Mary Kay, can you touch on this real quickly? I read something that was really interesting, and with your connections around the league, you're the best person to ask for this. With the state of the league right now and the, the COVID-19 and the restrictions, I read that teams aren't able to get their hands, their own private doctors evaluating uh, these free agents and now uh, a new stipulation all evaluations are are being um, held if I if I read that right Mary Kay you can correct me but is that something that's gonna is hindering right now guys like Cam Newton even Jadavion Clowney where teams can't get their own doctors on them and they're, they're they don't really trust private evaluations as much is, is there truth to that are these owners and GMs so uh, trusting of their own doctors that even though they get a different report, it's hard for them to act because they can't get their own doctors on them. Well, it could be a factor with guys like that where you, where they do have an injury history or they're coming off of something uh, and you really need to check everything out and make sure. So I do think it is a factor in the case of some guys, but it really certainly didn't slow down free agency. It right. did not stop teams from making trades. Uh, it didn't stop teams from, uh, you know, from doing anything. And, and that's another one of those things, like with, with uh, Trent Williams. I mean, he 
is coming off of a situation where he has had a cancerous growth removed from his head. I would think that the Browns would want to make sure that they could get an evaluation on that. But I've been told that that is not something that is a, is a concern. Uh, but with a guy like Cam Newton, I'm sure teams would like to get their own doctors involved. But right now, they can't, and it's not precluding teams from making deals. Yep, and on that note, let's jump to another guy with some injury history who was also released from the only team he's ever played for, and that is running back Todd Gurley. The Rams him early in the week. Um, they're taking a massive cap hit here. I think I read it's the second biggest cap hit in NFL history only to Antonio Brown a year ago, so it's funny how close those two are together. And, of course, those two um, are cut for very different reasons. Todd Gurley, only 25 years old. The Rams tweet out something like, always a part of our history. And it's incredible to hear just that language around Todd Gurley, always a part of our history. When this is a 25-year-old who now is going to land in Atlanta, but there's a lot of question marks about the longevity. Just two years ago, the Rams gave him a a market resetting deal um, that followed then by Zeke Elliott. And, And two things I want to throw at you here, Dan. First, just your, of course, your initial reaction when you see Todd Gurley gone from the Rams, something we couldn't even have fathomed 18 months ago. And then second, is there anything to learn here um, with the looming Nick Chubb situation? (laughs) Well, I mean, as far as Gurley's concerned, it's unbelievable because he was sort of seen as the driving force of that offense, Uh, you know, kind of the, you know, almost the Marshall Falk type, you know, all around back and, uh, you know, really seemed on on that path, right? And and then some injuries and, and things like that. Uh, cropped up listen this is going to be a discussion for for Browns fans you know really starting next year Nick Chubb is is extension eligible after next year and then he's a free agent the year after that so this is going to be a topic of discussion and especially when you bring analytics into the mix the reality is there are very few running backs no matter how good they've been that you look at and say it was worth paying that guy and, and the Browns are going to have to make that decision on Nick Chubb because he's one of the best running backs in the NFL. If he's going to want that kind of money. I don't know if he would, I don't know if he would hold out after next season to, to try and get an extension as soon as possible, but um, it, it's a really tough sell to pay running backs. And this is going to be a big topic of discussion in Cleveland, either next, next off season or the off season after that. Yeah, I agree with you, Dan. Analytics does not love the running back. So uh, it will be interesting because, Uh, Nick Chubb is such a a Browns favorite, a fan favorite. He's a fabric of the Cleveland Browns, almost a face of the Cleveland Browns right now. And they will have some decisions to make. But uh, the other thing about analytics, it's going to be about business in the same way that the the Patriots run their business, right player, uh, right number, you know, or right position, right salary and things like that. So it will be something to watch. Mary Kay, really quickly, I want to ask you just, we've never touched on this with you. Just your opinion on the state of the running back and how the value of the position has changed throughout your entire career. I mean, I, I think back to, of course, the Browns are, are synonymous with, with Jim Brown. And then you can go to like a trade like the Ricky Williams trade where Mike Dicka just mortgages the entire future for Ricky Williams. You know, all the way to, you know, my Minnesota roots, Adrian Peterson won an NFL MVP and carried the Vikings to a playoff game. Um, the, the Browns draft Trent Richardson high in the first round and now here we are with Todd Gurley getting cut just with your uh, long reporting career what is your quick opinion just on the state of the running back and is it, is it surreal to see a position once so highly valued now really just kick to the curb it seems like 
Well, the thing about it is, you know, the running game is actually very much in vogue right now. That's so a great point. Do you know what I mean? It's not the running game itself. It's the fact that running backs seem to be uh, not, not, I don't want to say easily replaced because you can't necessarily easily replace uh, a Todd Gurley or a Saquon Barkley or a Nick Chubb uh, or a Derrick Henry or somebody like that. Uh, but how many times have we even seen uh, guys get behind a really good line that you've barely ever heard of and they come in and they rush for 160 yards in a game? So it is an easy position to find good running backs and not one that even at this point when the, when the running game is such a key part of offenses right now, uh, it, it, they just don't command those really, really super high salaries because chances are you can find another one somewhere. Yeah, anything to add there, Dan, just on, on, on the state of the running back? And I think, to, to Mary Kay's point, what, what do you think that divide is with the running game still being very important, but the running back not having the value it once did? <laughs> I, I just think there's so much that goes into running the football, and, and so much of it is dependent on, you know, your line and your scheme and, and sort of when you run the ball and, and how you mix it in. I mean, it's just hard to, to not look at the two teams in the Super Bowl, and you see Raheem Mostert, who was a Browns cast-off. Uh, you know, he, he's running the ball for San Francisco. Kansas City, uh, they lost Kareem Hunt. Yeah. And they're in the Super Bowl, and they have Damian Williams running the ball. And then there were some people out there who maybe thought Damian Williams had a, a Super Bowl MVP case uh, at, at certain points in that game. So, you know, you it, it's just such a hard position to evaluate and – you know, you look at a place like Dallas, they decided to pay Ezekiel Elliott and, you know, we'll see how that works out. It's just the history of paying running backs, especially, you know, recent history, it just hasn't gone well. It just hasn't been the right decision. And, and I'm really curious to see how the Browns approach this because Nick Chubb, like I said, he's one of the best running backs in football. He's probably the Browns best player or one of their best players. Um, it, it's, this is going to be an interesting decision that the Browns have to make on him. Uh, they don't have to make it now, but they're going to have to make it in the next offseason or two. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. And this is probably a rant for another time, but I do quickly want to say I was disappointed with the whole new CBA deal. And this has been on my mind for a while, but it just seems like running backs, well, clearly they have and will continue to get lost in the shuffle here. Um, a specific clause in the new CBA is a really, really stiff penalty for player holdouts something like uh, they're now can collect all their fines. And some teams were, you know, splitting the fines after a while because it would become a labor dispute. Now it isn't. Um, those fines can all be withheld. So really it may put an end to the holdout, which is really just a, a clause on the running back. If you follow the holdout history, I would have loved to see the running backs almost be represented on their own. I, I know I'm just throwing stuff out there here, but it, it, it seems like running back should be extension eligible after like two seasons um, because you've got to look at the numbers here. I understand the average NFL career is around two or three years, but if these quarterbacks take Case Keenum, for example, Mary Kay, you said it with Brady playing until he's 40. Keenum's still collecting these contracts. Uh, Chase Daniels is another guy who's just been a, a wizard when it comes to collecting contracts. You know, they sh their rookie deal should be handled a little differently than, than the running back. And unfortunately that, that wasn't the case. And, uh, Cleveland is going to be the, the, the next case study here. Um, and then we'll be followed by the Saquon Barclays and Christian Caffers of the world. But that, that's an argument for another time. Um, before we get into our football insider questions, I want to ask you really quickly, Mary Kay, 
if you're hearing anything about the NFL drafting pushback, I know uh, Saints Mickey Loomis came out and said how it just it wouldn't – it was a really good quote, actually. He said, this isn't a fantasy draft. You can't just look at a list of players and select them. And I think that's a harsh but really good way to put it for, for fans and people who aren't behind the scenes seeing how this stuff works, that they can't just do this thing without – what the draft has been throughout all these years. So Mary Kay, the draft is scheduled for, I think it's the 23rd through the 25th, something like that, the end of April. What are you hearing on it being pushed back and where do you think this ends up landing? Well, it's interesting. I mean, it seems like they want to plow ahead with it. Uh, it seems like the, the NFL and the NFLPA are ready to, to roll with the, with the NFL draft on April 23rd, but it's still under discussion. Uh, it still will be heavily debated uh, I don't see any reason to rush into it right now, but I knew I know that teams right now they have no choice. They are hunkering down and doing as much draft prep as they possibly possibly can. Uh, you know they're do, they have the opportunity to do these uh, three one hour thirty type visits, uh, you know via teleconference with players. They're doing those right now. Um, I think it should probably be pushed back but if it follows uh the way that free agency went it will go on as scheduled yeah dan i see two sides of this i see why it should be pushed back like mary Kay said and i also see how considering the times you know this could be a beacon of hope if you will not to act like the nfl is the saving grace but really it, it could provide a real distraction for a few nights and be the really the only live sporting event going on where do you land dan you know, it, it, it is tough because the, these teams have so much work to do on these guys and they're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we, we kind of look back at free agency and I think there was an uneasiness maybe. Uh, you know, I was a little uneasy with them going ahead with the league year, but it did sort of, I think at least for NFL fans, I, I think it helped it helped serve as a little bit of a distraction last week that we had sports news, that we had guys signing contracts and, and things like that. And I think the NFL draft could certainly could certainly offer that um, to fans. It'll be really interesting because I don't even know if these teams are going to be able to get these guys into their buildings for mini camps. You know, usually there's a rookie mini camp the weekend, the weekend or two after the draft. And I don't know if we're going to be at a point where they're going to be able to do that yet um, after the draft. So, you know, the NFL seems pretty set on moving ahead with this thing in, in whatever format. I think NFL fans and, and sports fans would probably welcome it. Uh, by that time, but uh, it, it's going to present a lot of challenges to these teams. Yeah, Dan, I, I think that's well put. Um, and we're going to have to just wait and see how this unfolds. There's really no rush to make a decision, but, you know, we're really about a month away here from the draft and, and we shall see. Um, we're going to jump into our football insider questions now. We've been going for uh, almost an hour here. So uh, as we do rapid fire style, um, listeners for football insider subscribers i give you guys about an hour window to get your questions in if you hit in that hour window you're going to get your question read here uh we've got some repeating questions but i'm going to read them out um and then dan mary Kay, i'll let you guys fire away so this first about uh four questions are all centered centered around trent williams first one from 773 asking why does there seem to be a refreshed rumor about signing trent williams can't we simply draft the best offensive lineman at number 10, save a lot of money, and not have a 30-plus-year-old player down the road? We address that. There's, there's two avenues there. If the compensation's right, Trent Williams makes sense. But, of course, picking one at 10 is very viable. Also, uh, Brian 
is asking, do you think the Browns will get Trent Williams from Washington? And if so, what will the cost be? Similar questions from the 916. What does Washington want for Williams? And then we'll wrap up with Amy here before I throw it to you, Mary Kay. Uh, Mary Kay said she'd be on board with a Trent Williams trade if the compensation was okay. Mary Kay, what do you think is fair compensation in a trade for Williams? Well, there's a couple ways to go about this. If you give a lower pick uh, to the Redskins, uh, then you would end up, uh, you know, maybe signing him to a little bit of a lesser or shorter term deal. If you give up a higher pick, then you're going to want to wrap him up to a longer term deal. So there's a couple of different ways to approach it. I think uh, in the end that the Browns will probably decide to draft their left tackle at number 10 overall and ultimately will weigh the risks and the costs and decide uh, not to go ahead with a Trent Williams trade. But again, we don't even know if he's going to be released. As Dan mentioned earlier, if he gets released by the Redskins, then uh, that changes the game. Then you really just have to, uh, then he goes to, you know, just who's ever willing to pay him uh, the highest amount of money at that point. So um, I think it's worth pursuing. I think it's worth exploring. In the end, ultimately, I think they'll draft their left tackle of the future. Dan, we're going to have you be Kevin Costner here again in draft day. Put on your your bronze gem hat. What is a fair price for Trent Williams if you're pulling the trigger? Oh, fair price. I I, I don't know if there's going to be a match there because I don't know if I would give up. I'm not even sure if I would give up a a second-round pick, especially because, look, the the Redskins had their chance during the season. I, I don't know why they didn't get after it at the trade deadline I yeah. bet you they could have given I bet you they could have gotten John Dorsey to give up something real for Trent Williams uh they, they've sort of lost a lot of their leverage so uh you know I, I wouldn't be knocking down the door to give up a real high pick for him right now all right from the 330 uh moving on from Trent Williams with sticking with left, left tackle this person asks are there any free agent left tackles besides Trent Williams that could be an interest for the Browns you guys hearing anything on that front you know, Jason Peters is available. I, I, I don't see them. He's 38 years old right now. I don't really see them doing that sort of a rental unless they were concerned that, uh, that the rookie wasn't able to come in right away and start at left tackle. So I do think that it's probably either Trent or a rookie. Yeah, I, I think the, the Jason Peters thing was intriguing to me. If maybe they couldn't get Jack Conklin or, or fix right tackle, maybe you can put Jason Peters in there for a year and let the guy you draft. Because a lot of these guys have played mostly right tackle, not, not all of them, but, but some of these guys that could be there at number 10. You know, let them play right tackle for a year and then flip them over. Uh, but right now I think uh, you know, Conklin kind of settles all of that. And now the next guy you're going to do, the next thing you're going to do is draft that left tackle. Yep. All right, another one from the 330. Uh, a pressing but important question here, I think, asking, are the Haslam's going to continue to charge season ticket holders via their payment plans, considering the crisis people are facing with tremendous job loss and economic hardship? Or will there be a temporary hold put in place? I know that's a tough question. Are you guys hearing anything or where do you guys land when it comes to uh, what the Haslam's are doing with these season ticket payment plans? It's a good question. I don't know what they're doing with the plans, but they did come out and send an email to season ticket holders the other day, basically saying that they are uh, expecting to have a full 2020 season. So I think that, you know, the message is there that there's probably not going to be, uh, you know, much of a a discount for season tickets. 
in terms of payment plans right now, I'm sure it will uh, possibly be handled on an individual basis. If, so if someone's in a crisis situation, uh, I'm sure that that is something that they will take a good, strong look at. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it just speaks to the instability of where we are. I mean, right now, it's it's easy enough to say we, we think we're going to have a full NFL season, but, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we're kind of on a day-to-day, week-to-week thing here. We'll kind of see where this thing goes. Yeah, Dan, I think that's perfectly said. Instability. Uh, I saw the other day, I'm sure you two did on, on Twitter, uh, Cheesecake Factory announced that all their locations aren't going to be able to make make rent this month and that hit home with there being a cheesecake factory in Crocker park. Uh, also where I reside, not, not staying there right now, but um, it's just a sign of the times truly, truly, truly crazy and, and, and sad. Um, but it just remains to be seen. And again, Mary Kay, kind of like you said, it's a, a per person basis here and it just, it just remains to be seen. Um, but we appreciate the question and definitely something that we need to talk about. All right, Gary in Arizona asking, can you comment on the progress of Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry and their surgery recoveries? Anything on that front, Mary Kay? Uh, you know, those guys are coming along really well, actually. I've seen some of their videos on Instagram, and I've been kind of surprised about where they're at in terms of what they're doing. So uh, they're working out individually. Uh, they're doing, uh, you know, they're working, you know, they're under the guidelines of, of trainers and, and they even have, uh, you know, directives from the Browns medical staff on what they can be doing right now. Uh, and I think they're doing a really, really good job. Um, and they're so athletic and so strong that it's just, it's great to see how quickly they're coming along. And, and Jarvis is apparently trying to build up his TikTok brand. <laughs> to his uh, to his Instagram stories, so yes, follow Jarvis on TikTok. Yes, I've been watching that. Oh, good <laughs> stuff! All right, three three zero. This one specifically, question for Mary Kay. Uh, I get the feeling you doubt there is confidence in Mayfield based on Keenum being on the roster. I will be stunned if he does not have a great year. His path has been that he thrives on competition and has never backed down. Last year, he had none and was very unbaker like personality and all so i think the question here is sort of what we touched on the top mary Kay. is there any doubt within that building in the future baker mayfield by bringing keenum on the roster you know it's funny i i don't know where people have been getting that idea that that's how i feel because i've yeah. been very <laughs> adamant you know the other way about this do you know what i mean like totally. every single thing that i've written about uh case keenum from the very start that when I first identified at the combine that this was going to probably be uh, the quarterback that the Browns were going to sign. And then I've written columns, you know, since then, every single time I write about it, I have always said coming in as a backup, going to be Baker Mayfield's mentor, not going to try to take the job. We'll, you know, push him a little bit, but not compete with him. And I, I still am very adamant about that. I feel like that's how it's going to go. That's how it's set up. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah, can we just make an, an official podcast statement here and say that we all believe Baker Mayfield will be the starting quarterback, and we all feel fairly confident that, you know, Kevin Stefanski's offense is built uh, to help Baker Mayfield get better and improve. I, we talked a lot about Case Keenum at the beginning there, but let's just all kind of go on the record here and, and state that we're not calling for Case Keenum to start or believe that Case Keenum is, is the starting quarterback. Yeah, somebody this morning on, on, <laughs> on uh, I agree with you 100%. Somebody this morning on Twitter 
uh, completely like misquoted me when they were going back and forth. I went on uh, with Ken and Anthony on 92 The Fan this morning, and some somebody on Twitter was like com- like completely saying, "Oh well, Mary Kay's writing that Case Keenum is blah 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 that he's gonna." You know, that he's going to be the starting quarterback. <laughs> and she's really pushing that narrative. I'm like, no, no, I've never pushed that narrative. It's just funny how people can, you know, misinterpret the things that you say are right. Yeah, Dan, I think you're on to something. I'm going to, I'm going to cut that, that little segment you just had right there <laughs> at the front of the rest of the podcast and just get that, that preface out there. And we're just going to, we're going to get rid of the intro music and just have your voice at the start of it. Does that sound good? It sounds good. Message endorsed by, uh, we'll make it like a political ad. Perfect. Just, just for the, to protect Barry Kay and for our sakes <laughs> too. I think, I think you're onto something there. All right. This next one from the 917, a little longer message, but we appreciate these good notes. So I'm going to read it saying hello. And I hope you all are safe. I look forward to your podcast when I'm nestled in the bed after a long day of work. So thank you in all caps for all you do, all three of you and how the ethics and passion you do this with. You're great role models, and I appreciate it. And we appreciate that note. Um, the question is, on that note, I'm wondering if anyone has heard how Baker is taking this Keenum hiring and what percentage you think Chase will be the starter by midseason. So two things there. If either of you are hearing anything or gather anything on how Baker's taking this, and secondly, just a quick percentage of Chase is starting midseason. I'll start off with the percentage. I'm going to put it at 10, and that's really just because it's the NFL and someone could get injured Really low chance, but injury would be the only way I see it. Uh, you guys hear anything about how Baker's taking this? And then give me a percentage. Well, I think Baker's taking it really well. He was the first person to reach out, or uh, one of the first people to reach out to Case Keenum uh, once he agreed to terms. And I think that was a, a great sign by him. Baker has never shied away from competition. In fact, it doesn't matter what situation he is in. He could probably think that right now, he could be traded to the Tampa Bay Bucks and go in there and beat out Tom Brady. Yeah. That's Baker's confidence level. That's who he is. He doesn't shy away from it. In fact, he loves it. So I think this is going to have a great effect on him, and I think he's handling it well. Yeah, and I've kind of been thinking, you know, maybe I'm just not paying as much attention. I feel like Baker has been a little bit quieter this offseason than he was an offseason ago, at least as far as uh, some of his social media and, and things like that. Some of that maybe is a result of – you know, nobody can really go anywhere right now, but uh, it, it seems to me like, you know, in, in what we have heard from Baker and in different interviews and, and things like that, he kind of knows what happened last season. He knows he didn't have very much fun last season. And, and I think we're going to see a very different Baker Mayfield this year. Yep. All right. Only a few more left. This next one from the 216. What are the chances of Rashard Higgins staying in Cleveland? This is from Ed Vice in Cleveland. And he says, thanks. Well, you know, stranger things have happened. The longer it goes and they can get him at a bargain basement price and, uh, you know, if, if he wants to come back and they want him back, I wouldn't completely rule it out. I mean, I think the fact that it has gone on this long leads me to believe that, you know, he's still trying to find another situation. But, um, you know, the, sometimes when a guy just doesn't get snatched up, he can end up returning to his former team. So wouldn't rule it out. We know that Baker's liked him in the past and you just never know. Yeah, you know, I mean, still hanging out there. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm very curious about how often a third receiver is actually going to play on this team, especially if Jarvis and Odell are both healthy. Um, but, you know, the, the longer it plays out, the I'm with Mary Kay. I don't really have a whole lot to add there. The longer it plays out, the more likely it seems he may just end up back here. All right, this next one's from, uh, quote, Cali fan, I'm guessing with uh, who they're asking about, a USC fan. Dan, you wrote a little bit about this, just, just – 
insider simply asking, why not Everson Griffin? Uh, we're hearing anything about Everson Griffin and, and Dan, do you think that'd be a good fit here? I think it would be an interesting fit, especially if they do uh, ultimately decide to move on from Olivier Vernon, uh, you know, bringing a guy like Everson Griffin. I mean, he, I mean, he's a guy that can start still. He's a guy who's productive. You're obviously not going to bring him in long-term. Uh, he, he's on the older side, but uh, you know, th this team needs pass rushers. So if, if you can go and find some pass rushers, uh, especially on shorter term deals, even if, even if you have to pay a little bit of money, I, I think that's okay. But, um, to me, Griffin would be an option if you decided to move on from Vernon. You know, I do not really necessarily get the sense that they are that interested in Everson Griffin because uh, Kevin Stefanski has been with him for so many years. I would think that if he uh, was a viable option for the Browns, we would have heard something about it by now. Uh, it, it's from, from what I can gather, I, I don't think that that is on the radar. All right, our last run from the 516 asking – would Chris Hubbard be a good choice at guard? So before answering that, Mary Kay, do you just want to talk about uh, the news that broke on Hubbard today and then we can get to where he may fit on this team going forward? Yeah, they, they restructured him a little bit. I, I had been writing, uh, you know, in, in a couple things over the weekend and some hey MKs and different things that he was probably going to stick around as the swing tackle. He is doing that, but they reduced his salary a little bit. Uh, from 6.15 this year down to about 2.5. One million of that is guaranteed. Uh, so he will uh, stick around as a backup swing. I don't necessarily think, I don't think at this point they really have him slated to be the starting right guard. Um, but I suppose that that is a possibility that they could take a look at him there. Uh, right now, I think he's more reserved swing guy. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. And I went back and looked to see how, if he played much guard when he was with Pittsburgh. And I, and I don't think he did. He was, he was mostly a reserve tackle there and, and then sort of took over when, when there were injuries. Uh, he, he's more of that backup tackle type of player. I, I think they have other internal options at guard. When we've talked about Wyatt Teller. You know, I'm, I'm curious about Drew Forbes and, and if maybe he's a guy, if he comes back healthy, if he can compete at that right guard spot. You know, maybe you give Hubbard a look in training camp for a couple of days and, and see how he does there. But I don't know if I see him as a, a real option at guard. All right, there you have it. There are football insider questions. Before we wrap that up, I do want to mention uh, from the 917 who sent us that longer note, there, there's a little more that I want to read I forgot to say. Uh, this insider continued saying, you are definitely my go-to sports analyst team. We thank you. And they wrapped up with this. MKC, you are, the Brady, you are the Tom Brady of Brown's journalism, setting a great culture and tone. So, Mary Kay, I thought you deserved to hear that. That's got to be pretty cool to hear. <laughs> well, uh, humbled and honored, and thank you very much, because as, as you guys know, uh, all too often we hear some of the, uh, the other side of things, and, uh, and it's nice to really hear that people are appreciating what we're doing, especially, you know, we are really trying to keep uh, some content going for you guys during this time. We, we know how difficult a time this is for everyone. And our, our best wishes go out to all of you. And again, we hope that in some small way, we're providing a service to you that gives you an opportunity for at least part of your day uh, to, you know, to think about something else and have like a little bit of a diversion. And, and Mary Kay, don't go leaving us for the Tampa Bay Times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, that's, that's a good note to end on. Mary Kay, well said. And I couldn't agree more, Dan. Mary Kay's got to be staying right here. She's got a lot of work to do with this Cleveland Browns team and an exciting offseason as it's been. And we will continue to provide content for you guys, as Mary Kay said. So 
I'm going to let you two go out and enjoy the sun, this nice weather in Ohio. Even I'm seeing some sun here in Minnesota. So we're going to get out of here for myself, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot. My name's Ellis Williams. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and take care, y'all.